Panther. Place. One Panther podcast, and it's a very simple format. It's a quick hang and chat with a guest, usually somebody that has some type of Panthers connection. And what we want to do here on the website and on the podcast is spend some time celebrating the legacy of this franchise. We want to reflect on what this franchise has meant to us. Uh, to me personally, it, it's been a part of my fabric since I was 15 years old. Uh, you know, 1995, Clemson, Death Valley, Sam Mills bringing back the Bubby Brister shovel pass, winning the first game. Uh, those memories just never fade. And uh, this through the thick and thin, and now a lot of thin, <laughs> 2001, 2010, uh, you, you stick with a team and then it pays off when you have the good years. Some of the big plays that happened that we don't remember in the seasons that didn't maybe turn out to be Super Bowl runs, and then even the Super Bowl runs type seasons where there's certain games, you know, that critical moments happen that you just lose sight of because there's just so much football to keep track of so we'll reflect on that you'll see on twitter.com slash one panther place that's where we're at we do a daily rewind where we go back and look at some games from the past decade or so and give you a snapshot of uh you know some plays we did a cam newton's first ever touchdown well almost touchdown reception 2011 at tampa where uh rob chudzinski uh, brought out the razzle dazzle dinner menu and uh, dialed up one hell of a play. We celebrate the past. We look at what's happened. We also are going to take a good look at what's happening right now. What I can tell you is camp is coming up here in the next couple of days. The storylines are obvious. Cam Newton's shoulder, surgically repaired back in January. Nobody knows anything. Okay, there's my analysis. Nobody knows anything. There's a ton of speculation. We could spend two hours here on a roundtable discussion talking about the merits of what's going to happen with his arm. Will he throw it downfield during camp? Will he not throw it downfield during camp? How will this alter his running game? I will say this, that is a significant piece. We have talked about this time and time again. One of the hidden gems that Newton has brought along in his time here is the first down production on the ground. You can argue that the most important stat in football, most important element of football, is moving the chains. I mean, what's bigger than that? You don't move chains, you don't put drives together, you don't score points. Cam has been exceptional in terms of moving chains, in terms of keeping momentum going in drives. We had a stat up not too long ago, and I have to pull it back up for you sometime tonight. We'll post it on Twitter, but uh, he was among the league leaders, including running backs, in first down percentage. So he's a workhorse. And, you know, that that's as far as my analysis can go on Cam Newton. You know, we saw what happened last year. We saw what happened. One in seven down the stretch. And I want to call it a token win at the end of the season. They earned it. They worked hard. But let's face it. Seven games, they had a chance to stay in the playoff race. And it all hinged on the quarterback. And he's a warrior. And for those who degrade him for whatever reason they do... Uh, and they do it for a lot of reasons, and some are pretty impure, I'll tell you that, because I've heard it, and I've seen it, and it ain't pretty. 
Cam goes through a ton of pain. You, you, you forget about things like 2012, where he's got a banged up hand and he's dealing with, you know, a leg situation and he's just getting hit every damn down, it seems. And he put together a stretch of football that was magnificent. The last five or six weeks, he was perfect. I mean, it was perfection at the quarterback position in spite of the injuries. Uh, you know, I could think of the game in New Orleans, Thursday night game. Uh, 2014, I think it was. The all-black jerseys came out. And it's a game they really needed to win. And, you know, they didn't. And New Orleans got the better of them in that game. But Cam's effort on that touchdown run where he just, he, he, was, he was, again, hurting in pain, flies like Superman, literally. Five, six yards to the pylon. I mean, that's what you get. That's what you're getting with a Cam Newton, a guy that uh, totals his truck, flips it, lying in the road. Two weeks later, he's leading his team to a win against Cleveland at home. Those are the memories. Those are the things I think of when I think of Cam Newton. I think of toughness. I think of football asset. He's more than a quarterback. He's a tremendous quarterback as is. What he can do aside from that gives you so much more value. The pressure and strain he puts on a defense I mean, you, if you have a chance to look at the All-22 stuff on the NFL.com, do it. And and pay attention to some of the plays that you might not remember. Like, a, For instance, the, the scramble he had before Gano's game-winning kick at New York when they stayed perfect at 14-0 in uh, 2015. You know, he's out there rolling the pocket. He's got a messy pocket. He clears a little space. The linebackers don't know what to do. They, they're in no man's land. So Cam's got him. He's either got Olsen or somebody right there on the dump off, or he's got six easy yards putting him in range. You can't do that with a Drew Brees. You can't do that with a Matt Ryan. You certainly can't do it with a Jameis Winston. So there's limitations there. So what I, what I worry about more with Cam is not necessarily the ability to throw the ball downfield. I think he'll be fine in that regard. I, I'm concerned that we're getting to a point in his career where the natural scaling back of what makes him so exceptional will start to occur. And maybe that's inevitable. Maybe, you know, he, he's held up so long and so well for uh, almost a decade now, maybe it's time to scale it back. But I'm telling you right now, you start taking away those, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine runs a game, and, you know, those two or three first downs he's getting per game on the ground, you put him in that box, he's going to suffocate, and the team will suffocate along with him. So I'd like to see Norv continue to do and build upon what he did early part of last season. I was a big, big proponent of it, fan. The only thing with Norv I shook my head at was the McCaffrey-Anderson situation, the, the inability to use those guys in conjunction a little more, rotate them in and out. I, I don't know why C.J. Anderson was not a part of this team long range. I get McCaffrey is a valuable asset, and you want to have him on the field as much as possible. Just stood out to me that maybe a chance there to be more effective with, uh, with an Anderson on the team. But that's why I'm sitting here doing a podcast and North Turner's rolling around at nighttime in $100 bills with his wife. So there's that. Um, take everything we say here with a grain of salt. Unlike some podcasts who are going to tell you how it is and that's the way it is. No, this is, this is one man's dopey opinion that just watches a lot of football. So, you know, North did a stellar job of taking Cam's situation 
in coming into the year, the speculation was that the arm still was not quite right. The shoulder wasn't right. You know, the team translated that into the offense. You know, a lot of you know, horizontal passing, a lot of screen game, a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of misdirection. And, uh, you know, there were some impressive performances. You know, the Cincinnati game, the uh, game against uh, Tampa Bay where they put up, uh, you know, over 30 points in the first half. So uh, those things those things are positive. Even in the losing streak, you know, the Seattle game, the, my, my goodness, look at the – we did a piece on this a, a few days ago. The the North Turner Christian McCaffrey marriage is just made in heaven. Uh, I mean, these this is like Emmett Smith all over again on another level. Uh, the ability to pass catch, to flex out his pass blocking guys skills, his run blocking skills at times when the option is in play. Uh, you know, his route running skills. He's a perfect perfect football player he does very little incorrectly and he's available all the time and norv salivates at that probably the big reason why cj anderson was cut because norv said look i can rely on this guy 95 percent of the touches and you know we don't need to bog him down with uh, somebody looking over his shoulder norv and uh C-Mac are just, uh, it's, it's magic watching what they're doing together. You can think about the game against uh, Seattle last year, the heartbreaker. I don't know if I've seen a running back dominate a game as much as McCaffrey did in that game. I mean, he had 11 catches, 105, 115 yards, something like that. 100% catch rate, so he didn't drop one ball out of the eleven. He had uh, 17, 18 carries, a buck 25 on the ground, a couple of touchdowns. It's almost like pitching a perfect game if you're in baseball. It felt like that. And it, 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 damn shame we lost. We can cover the secondary another time. We're, we're not going to dive into that in this podcast. We do have a piece going up tonight on OnePantherPlace.com that does look back at Thieves Avenue from 2015 and if the roadmap now can lead us back there. Uh, it's uh, past few years. When I dug into the statistics and the analytics and a little bit of the film, it's ugly. It was even in some of the good years, even in 17, it was atrociously ineffective, bad football. Last year, the story, of course, was uh, the big plays. But again, we want to kind of stick to the offense here. So again, the Cam Newton situation, all eyes on that. Keep an eye on the offensive line, too. You know, there's a lot of questions about Matt Paradis and his, you know, injury coming in. Is is that going to still be a lingering factor? You always worry about a guy that comes in, you get a pretty good contract for him, and then, boom, week two, week three, it flares up again. We'll, We'll keep an eye on that, obviously, during camp. But so far, there's been no evident reason to be concerned about it. Obviously, with Daryl Williams coming back, uh, that to me was an absolute shocker. I had no expectations that he would be here. And that gives your line tremendous flexibility now uh, along the line there. So he's got to stay healthy, too. I mean, that's another aspect of it. And the entire line needs to just continue to gel and work together. Uh, I spent some time with John Matsko last November, talked with him very briefly after the Buccaneers game. And uh, the, the magic this guy works on the line with the pieces he's had to work with since 2011. Uh, you, you have to give him a ton of credit. Now, I know he's officially the run game coordinator now, and uh, Travell Warden has sort of stepped in to help with the uh, you know, the pass blocking side of things. But I don't know exactly how they structure that internally. I don't think anybody really knows it other than the staff. 
But uh, I'll say this, that Matsko has been the one constant here. He's been the guy that's taken, you know, these guys off the scrap heap. And he took guys like Norwell and helped develop him. And even Mike Rimmers at right tackle made him sustainable enough to, you know, win 14 games in a row. So, you know, we talk about some of these guys like they're trash. I mean, (laughs) they come through Carolina and, uh, you know, Norwell gets his big contract. Rimmers gets paid. Uh, All these guys end up... uh, you know, dodging out here with a nice little paycheck. And, uh, again, that's the key to this whole thing with the cam shoulder. We know McCaffrey's going to be there. I, no, nothing tells me that he won't be available. Things happen, but I mean, he has a good track record of availability. The receiving core is going to be an absolute gem to watch. That That's my hot take, bold prediction, okay? If we're going to do this whole stupid sports talk theme crap, my hot take of the hot take of the camp is uh, the wide receivers. The wide receiving group is going to be, and I call it the pass catching group. I mean, that's what they are. It's it's a group of pass catchers. I think Hogan's making the team. Now, I haven't seen anything yet. I've not been to mini camp. Uh, I don't I don't know anybody that has any real true insights other than who's in the building. But I think Hogan's going to make the team, and I think the, the reason why he makes the team is his uh, ability to play outside. Uh, his experience in big games, uh, his speed, his downline speed, his ability to separate. And he was first in the league last year in separation yards at the point of catcher and completion. Um, you know, and that's significant in this offense. It's uh, sort of a, a Ted Ginn type of uh, piece on the outside. Samuel, uh, what do you do with him at that point? He goes inside, I think. He goes inside. He also flexes to the backfield. They do a lot of that uh, swing back motion where they you know, have a back and then they have Samuel or any sort of wide out. They did this with Moore a lot to sweep him back behind the quarterback. So it's, a, you know, like a dotting the I situation. Uh, you can see some of that. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to have Wright still on the team in the slot and to continue to utilize him because he's one of Norv's guys. He knows the system inside out. And he was extremely effective in fourth quarter situations more hidden gym type stats here he was almost 15 yards a catch in the fourth quarter last year and that was primarily out of the slot so again he's good with the ball in his hands in space solid guy solid character guy too he's a guy i'd probably keep around so either you got samuel you got hogan you got Wright, and then you got old dj moore number 12 who you can't say this enough uh, he is unbelievable. The only thing he's not good at sometimes, sometimes, is ball security. Sometimes. And that's going to happen. And that better be cleaned up. You, you can't continue to fumble the football. You can't. It, you, you'll be out of the league. You, you could be the most dominant Steve Smith clone ever. But you, you can't fumble the ball. But, again, his explosiveness... Once the ball's in his hands, just go back and watch some highlights, simple YouTube stuff. Just Google DJ Moore highlights and watch when he catches a ball in the flat, the quickness of his, you know, one step, cut, turn, and his explosiveness when he goes to seek contact. Uh, he, he's looking for some pain. He's looking to deliver pain. And it reminds you a lot of 89. You can see now why on draft night, Steve Smith was singing his praises. I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm not a draft nick. I don't know who D.J. Moore really is. I've seen him play a few games on the ACC Network and whatnot, but I don't don't think you can find another Steve Smith. And I don't think you've found another Steve Smith here, but 
damn, I, I'll, I'll be damned if I'm not seeing a lot of similarities. I just see a lot of similarities there. It's almost as if the personnel folks went to some football-making factory run by the you know, football gods, and they said, here, here's Todd Pinkston, here's Ted Ginn. Make us the opposite of that. Okay? And that's what they've made with D.J. Moore. He is a running back mentality, almost linebacker, seek-and-destroy mentality. Guy seems like a real cool customer. But, boy, there's some rage in that game. There is some rage when he turns that corner and goes and, you know, finds a DB and uh, does a little bowling ball action. It's it's fun to watch. I love that. I love it. Uh, where does that leave everybody else? You know, at Torrey Smith, I, it, it, you know, camp happens. You know, we're going to go through the process here. He could light it up. Things can start to work together. That's another thing we all speculate. We don't know anything. We don't. Nobody knows anything. Injuries, playbook, you know, chemistry, uh, life situations with the players, where their heads at. So many variables that, that we we try to fit these square pegs into these round holes. I'm just not gonna. I'm not. I'm not here for it. I'm here to tell you what's happening from my perspective and what that may lead to. Not taking random guesses as to, you know, oh, Torrey Smith's going to suck because he sucked last year. Well, there's more to that story, obviously. There were some injuries involved. There's a transition to a new offense, uh, you know, and by all accounts, he's one of the most respected people in the locker room. With that said, it's time to move on from that if he's not going to produce. We don't need respected guys in the locker room. We need guys that are going to get in the ball game and produce. And I think between Smith and Chris Hogan, my best guess at this point would be Hogan would be the guy. But like I said, three weeks later, every day at Wofford, taking a look at things, I'll give you my best educated guess. If uh, if Hogan's not getting it, you know, Smith may have a role here. I don't think there's too many guys that are off the radar that are going to you know, have a spot. You know, there's a lot of talk like that, too, that, hey, you know, here's four guys to watch that you know nothing about that could make the team. Well, you know, no shit. Fifty guys in the league right now that could pull that off. Every team's got a one or two. Nobody truly knows which one of these 20, 30 camp bodies would be the guy to break through. What, how would you, what would you base that upon? College film? Give me a break. Take two weeks, watch camp, make some observations, and also watch the people with whom they're competing and see if you can find an edge. And those preseason games are big, too. I mean, you, you got to factor that in. Uh, as far as the offense goes, I, I, I'm extremely bullish and optimistic about what, what they've got going there. Uh, I couldn't be happier. Cam Schroeder holds up. It's all aces. You know, they're, they're putting up 35 a game. I, I dare not say they'd put up less. Uh, the shoulder goes south. What do you got? Okay. You got Will Greer. I don't think he's ready. Okay. I don't think any quarterback drafted in that round is quite ready yet. Okay. There's a select few that are ready to pounce it and make it happen. If Greer was that guy, a handful of teams would have picked him up in the first round. Not to say it can't happen. You know, guys have stepped in before as rookies and have looked tremendous. But it always catches up with them. It always catches up. And it always seems like the cream always rises back to the top. 
You get the Tom Brady's occasionally they're in the sixth round, and they end up just lighting the world up because they they find the perfect situation at the perfect time with the perfect coach, scheme, elements, everything worked together perfectly. Tom Brady as an isolated entity, I would say, is not an incredible specimen, okay? I'll say he's an incredible-minded football player who meshes extremely well with a head coach, despite all the media complaints that, you know, they're having some sort of uh, marital spat or whatever the hell that story was last year before they won their 400th Super Bowl of the century here. So that's that's the quarterback situation again. Greer, I, I would think at this point, Allen would be my guy to go number two. He's, he's quarterback built. He looked apart against the Saints, against their first team defense. Uh, you know, Heineke, I, I like him a lot, and I think there's a lot of good opportunities to utilize his skill set. I don't think he's durable enough, and I don't think he's got the arm. I, I don't think he's got the makeup to do what maybe Norv would want to do in that situation. But, again, that could be completely wrong. He got bullied quite a bit by fire in that Atlanta game, and I like how he came out and put together that uh, early touchdown to Ian Thomas, and, you know, he, he held in there tough. But we just Kyle Allen, to me, looked like a bona fide NFL backup. He had a Derek Anderson feel and look to him, a sturdy pocket presence that can fire the ball downfield and make some plays. He's not perfect. He probably will not be a starter anytime soon unless something catastrophic happens. He'd be my number two guy. And then you got Greer right there at three. I, I don't think Heineke's probably going to beat Greer out given the draft capital that was spent on uh, the West Virginia product. But there again, we'll see how it works out. You just don't know at this point. Um, I just don't think uh, I don't think four quarterbacks are going to happen. I, I think three might. Um, I think three probably should, given the fact that you know you're still dealing with a some tenderness there from a quarterback who spent most of his time last season nursing an arm problem. So I, I think it would be wise to. My thinking is, if I'm an executive in the NFL, if I'm coming off a season where I've used three or more quarterbacks in like a five week span. I'm keeping three the next year, regardless. I'm not risking it. I'm keeping three on there to have a full-time run of the practices and the playbooks and the involvement and not having anybody, you know, swiped off the practice squad. So I think it's three. I think Greer obviously stays. I, you, Allen and Heineke will have to, you know, see who battles that one out and wins it. But uh, my guy's Allen at this point. We'll see how it works out. Uh, Alex Arma, let's not forget about him. What a what a absolute beast of a fullback up, up cut speed he has with the ball in his hands and it's it's rare that he gets that chance now but his uh, ability along with Manhurts too at tight end let's not count him out either these are two critical components to the success that these guys have in the running game not just with Cam but with uh, McCaffrey there's some tremendous blocking going on there of course Olsen when he's healthy he's always blocking very well Thomas is a little rusty he's got some things to work on in the blocking game but Arma I just wanted to mention him because uh the, the ability to to line up in a two-back personnel and just smash it you know whether it's uh sort of a pistol look whether you've got an eye formation he does good work and uh it's it's worth keeping an eye on because uh Fullbacks are a dying breed, and it's good to see Norv hasn't forgotten his roots with uh, old Moose Johnson back in the 1990s. 
I figured they would probably keep the fullback in play, and I'm glad they've done that despite all the, you know, the evolution to let's all score 65 points a week here, which I think ultimately will swing the other way, but we'll see. So uh, that's a look. We've covered receivers. We've covered the O-line. We've covered the fullback. We've covered the quarterbacks. We have covered the entire offense. The tight end situation, Greg Olson, I'm going to wish him the best. I'm glad he came back. You know, he's got a clear path to Canton right now for the Hall of Fame. There are only a handful of receivers that are in Canton right now, or a handful of tight ends, I should say. There's nine of them. And Greg's right in the middle of the pack. Three straight 1,000-yard receiving seasons is a record for a tight end. Uh, He's had four different incidents with one foot in terms of injuries since then. And that's problematic because at any point you're holding your breath saying, oh, here, here we go again. You know, it, it, it could happen. But, hey, look, what are you going to do? I admire him for coming back. He's an asset. He still brings a lot to the table, even, you know, at his age. And even at his age, it's not impossible to get production. I mean, Jason Witten's crawling out of the booth, for Christ's sake, and coming back for another run at it. So uh, tight ends, basically, get yourself in position down the field, stick your route. Get those good eight, nine yards. Be a good outlet. The days of Greg Olson, you know, running up the sidelines were never there anywhere. I mean, he may have a few seam routes. Like in Seattle, he would win a game on a busted coverage. But his bread and butter are the you know, shallow crossing routes, little stick routes, and the ability to get on the flat and make some good plays. And I think he's got plenty of footwork still left to make that happen. I love Ian Thomas, by the way. Jeez, now this guy, I've, I've looked at some of the all 22 on him. I, just, the game he had in Cleveland was just outstanding the way he not only managed the uh the run game in terms of his blocks and his assignments but he had a near perfect game in the passing arena too I and mean, he's one play in particular he does a little uh you know five yard stop and he's stuck his foot in the ground and he accelerates and cuts so fast off that foot and he's done this on a couple of routes too he looked a little bit like dj moore out there and he also looked like more towards the end where he, he's out there seeking contact looking for somebody to hit and uh, as a tight end that's good to see I, I like his uh, ability to accelerate I love his ability to be an extra threat downfield another dimension for Newton I mean again you you put in a 22 personnel you got you know two tight ends out there what do you do you got more on the outside you got either Hogan or Samuel out there on the other side or you know you Jarius Wright comes in the slot you still got Ian Thomas offset in the flex position you have so many options if they just stay healthy it's always health man it's always health so that's a quick kind of general thoughts on the offense Uh, you can give us some feedback at one panther place on twitter here coming up next our good friend luther broughton is going to join us he's the former tight end for the carolina panthers Former tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles. In fact, he was one of Donovan McNabb's first pass-catching weapons. Played for the great Andy Reid. Even played for the great John Gruden. The young John Gruden in Philadelphia. We'll talk to Lou, get his thoughts on all of that and the upcoming season and anything else we feel like talking about right here on the One Panther Podcast. Stay with us.
time of year. Now, things have changed in the NFL drastically with the CBA and the amount of practice you can do and the, the contact. Talk about this time of year. What was it like for you? What were you feeling right now? Okay, like, like, I'll tell you this time of year right now, I was, uh, I wanted to be outside, getting a little bit more running in. I know it's close to camp. I know you kind of want to have legs or what have you. Mm-hmm. But you need to prepare yourself as much as you can for the brutal aspect of camp Hmm. because it's practice, it's running, it's pads. And I'll tell you, you you mentioned it a second ago about the CBA. I don't think I make five years. I don't think I make one year in the NFL under the new rules. Really? I made the team in practice. I played maybe – 10, 15 preseason plays in Philadelphia my rookie year. Right. And, you know, they kind of were stashing me. I was a small school guy with talent, and I needed I needed practice. I needed more, right? I'm like, why aren't they playing me? You know, I'm not going to make this team. I got older, and then I realized how it works. But we had two-a-days in pads, and, and that's a game. You've got two games every day almost. And I was able to show that I can play in that league. I can play in this league in practice mm-hmm. because I got no game reps in the preseason. Nowadays, they don't practice. First off, that you can't have two a days. I know, well, you can't have two. I know you can't do two padded practices. Right, exactly. A, a lot of non padded practice. I, w- I wouldn't have made it. You, you, sometimes you need you need to show them, right? But sometimes you need a little bit more reps to show them. And me, let, let's say we had two weeks of practices, and let's call it two a days for two weeks. So I'm, I'm just using flat numbers. 14 days, I've got 28 practices to show what I can do, right? Right. Nowadays, I'd have like eight practices. Dude, I wouldn't have made it. What can you get done at that point? You're trying to separate yourself from the pack there. Correct. You were able to because of your physicality, but now it's harder, isn't it? And on top of that, how do coaches evaluate properly? I uh, And I've heard coaches like, well, it's a little bit of complaint. You know, they don't, they don't want to kill guys, but they want to be able to evaluate young guys. You want to be able to – I mean, what is Tom Brady, a six-round pick? Right. Yeah. You, you want to be able to evaluate whether you, you've got a guy on your team. I mean, it's amazing that I actually got picked in a higher round than Tom Brady. That, <laughs> to me, that's just stupid. Tell me about that, your draft day experience. What was that like? It was funny because prior to the draft, um, I didn't get invited to combine. Let's start with that. Uh, Furman didn't have anybody drafted for like 15 – 14, 15 years prior to my getting drafted, right? So it's like, eh. Uh, but, you know, I went, I went to Furman. I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. I didn't think I was going to the NFL. I was going to go get a degree and go to grad school, and, and that's that's just what you do. Yeah. So I remember Coach Johnson uh, going to Clemson, and he was a defense coordinator at Clemson. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was still trying to play some basketball at Furman. I played one year there. Mm-hmm. And Coach Johnson came back. And, you know, coaches want to want to motivate you whatever way they can. And he called me in his office one day, and he said, Luther, look. And it was, it was actually after I sprained my ankle in basketball practice. He said, look, I'm not going to ask you to quit a team. That's not what you do. Mm-hmm. He said, but but— 
you know, you're a football player, we play your scholarship, and I need you out at spring practice right now. He said, but, you know, I'm not going to ask you to quit, but when the season is over, you're done with basketball. And he said, Luther, you can play on Sundays. You can play on Sundays. And, you know, when Coach Johnson talks to you, he's like your tough granddad who scares the crap out of you. And, right. and he said, he said, look, Every every time I had scouts at Clemson come up, you know, scouts would scouts are at Clemson all the time, obviously. He said I had scouts asking me about the tight end from Furman, the kid from Furman, every single time they came in. Because he was he was the guy who saw me up close and personal for a few years before he left. And he said, um, Every, he said every scout wanted to know about me. They thought I could play in the league. And, of course, I thought he was trying to motivate me, whatever. And probably two weeks later, I went home, at home as in, in Charleston, Hugey, South Carolina, right. just visiting. My mom was still working at school, visiting folks. And you know who Robert Porsche is, right? Oh, yeah, Lions uh, defensive end. So Robert is from my neck of the woods. He went to Canehoy High School, right? Right. right. And uh, my mom, everybody calls me Richard. That's my middle name. My mom said, hey, Richard, we call him LB, Little Bob. His dad's name is Robert as well. She said, Richard, LB is in, uh, is at school today visiting some kids. He asked me about you. He wanted to talk to you. So I went down in one of the classes. He was talking to some kids. He was done. It was just him and I in the class, me and him, however you say that. And he said, Richard, uh, everybody calls him Richard. He said, uh, I know you love basketball. And, you know, that's how I got into Furman. Furman coaches mm -hmm. came to see me play basketball. That was your that was your thing. And so he said, Rashard, how many 6'2", 250 point guards do you see in the league? He's like, you just don't see that. He said, you don't understand how good you are. You can play in our league. You can play on Sundays. And this is like a week and a half, two weeks after Coach Johnson has this conversation with me. And Crazy. this is like my junior year. And at this point, I'm like, Okay, wow, right? It's all starting to connect at that point. It started you know, to connect. This is, uh... and, and it's not like I didn't put give it all. I just I was I wasn't focused completely on football. I wanted to play basketball. Sure. I wanted to play football. I wanted I wanted to be a college student, you know. But um let's fast forward to after my senior year, no no combine invites. But one one lucky 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 thing for me. Super lucky that we had Joey Batson. So, so Joey turned me into a full-blown man. He's one of the guys who also said to me, and, and, and he said that to me ever since my, maybe my sophomore year, he, and he's the first one. He's like, you're playing on Sundays. You don't understand how much talent you have in that body. I need more out of you. And he said, I want you to come, if you willing, I want you to come in here on your off days and we're going to work on some things. And I'd go in there on Wednesdays and some days I'd throw up. But it was voluntary, and, and Coach Batson would kick my butt. And I went from chubby, athletic kid to I was 267% body fat, bench 400, squatting 600, 38 vertical. And that was that was Joey, Joey Batson crushed me. I was running a 4.5 at Furman at some point, high 4.5. 
uh, low four sixes. Um, but that was me, and and, and that's why mm-hmm. you know that's what the coaches saw. It was just me. Yeah. I was I'm in my body. I, I don't, I'm just being me. The coaches see something else. They're like, dude, you can play. So fast forward after senior year, no combine invites. I'm like, eh, whatever, right? Right, right. So finally, I uh, I had a scout actually come up to see me. Um, you know Sean McDonough? His brother, he was a, a Raven scout, right? And he came to see me. He said, man, I'm telling you, I really like you. He's like, I've been checking you out uh, for a few years now. He's like, I think you could play. He's like, matter of fact, I know you can play in this league. But he's like, nobody's taking you serious. They see a Furman kid. They don't think you have competition. And... Uh, he said, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He And he was really good. I'm, I'm, he said, I could be selfish, right? Say hi, Nina. Hi. Hey, Nina, how are you? <laughs> this is Nina. You can't, you can't hear us, the headphones. That's, that's Mr. Luther Brown, and he played football for the Panthers. Yeah. Hi. Hey, hey Nina, what's up? Good. Are you helping your dad interview? Yeah. I, I'm a big fan. Oh, good. Are you a Panther fan? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I get to meet you and get your autograph. Yeah. Look at there. That's huh? right. That's right. <laughs> I finished a sleepover with my friend. Really? What it's did you guys do? Uh, we watched a movie last night, ate some popcorn, and then went to bed. That sounds like a pretty calm sleepover. Yeah. That's shocking. Pretty calm for that age, right? Sleepover, and I hear noise, 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 noise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Booger. Let me take over here for a minute, okay? I love, I, I love you. Oh, you love me. You love Luther, too, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. We all love him. Hi, Nina. Oh, hi. Tom Brady, kiss on the lips. No, we don't do that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I want to ask you about starting out in Philadelphia, and then you move promptly on to Carolina. That that experience, was, was that bittersweet? Was that, in retrospect, a good thing? And so, then a follow-up to that, you, you ended up playing for Don Bro, which one of the legendary tight end coaches of I all still, time. I, I still talk to him. No kidding. I still talk to him. He lives here. He's he's an avid fisherman. They all live in Charlotte. No, they all stay. Yeah, they all stay. You got it's the cost of living here is phenomenal. I'm and from Charlotte. It's yeah, such it's great. a great place. It's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah, I run into random guys like all the time. One day I I was at IHOP like by myself. It was like in between meetings. I was doing outside stuff, sales, and uh, I saw London Fletcher, and I was like. <laughs> Because, you know, we were in the NFC West with the Rams, and we played them twice a year. And I'm like, yeah. that guy looks like Fletch, but no way, right? Then he stands up, and you know Fletch is like 5'2". Five, five, <laughs> got a kid's <laughs> menu at Diopis. <laughs> Sorry, go, London Fletcher, don't come find me and arrest me. You see a bunch of guys. Like Randy, yeah. Randy Moss lives here. Well, I know he used yeah, to. He does. I see Iverson. Uh, quite a bit here other people like i saw iverson at walmart today and i was like yeah i think he lives there or has a house there or something that's crazy but yeah coach bro but i'll tell you about that man my my year in philly ray rhodes was the coach right ray rhodes was the coach and he's a he's the hardest ass of them all right or is that a myth is he he that's a myth ray was a player's coach i thought ray was a hard ass that was what i heard i was prepared to get beat down Ray is such a player's coach. He's tough, but he's a player's coach. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, the guy who there who drove me nuts was Gruden. 
and I, I had a tough time with him. Uh, and again, I get I got tough love growing up. Like my dad is like a tough love type of guy. I have he really thick skin. Man, he 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 did not treat me great. And I I would ask. I was like, dude, you don't coach me. You just bitch at me. And uh, Chad, he, was, he was the OC at that point, right? He's so he was kind. the OC right. at the time, and and I just knew I was getting cut like every week, right? And you know, nothing against the guy. It's Not just sure. it was just it was my experience. And I remember Chad Lewis said, "Lou man," he called me Lou man. He said, "Lou man, what did you do? Gruden is always killing you." And I was like, "Dude, I don't know." It was at a point where David Shaw was the offensive assistant, and. Uh, and and, wow. and he he kind of noticed, and he was like, he would come and give me some coaching, and he's like, yeah, Gruden's tough, uh, you know, just if you don't feel comfortable, just come to me. And you know, my position coach was great as well. It was Juan Castillo as well. Yeah, he's, Juan Castillo. Uh, he's like, Gruden kills you, man. And I was like, and it is what it is. What a staff, uh, by the way. I'm looking. I'm looking at that ninety eight. Sean Payton. It's just. I mean, just crazy. Payton was on John that. Harbaugh. Harbs was on that staff. Emmett Thomas. Leslie Frazier. Turgovac was on it. Ron, Ron Rivera. Yeah, Ron Rivera. Yeah, was, Chico on, was that, on there. That's right. That staff. We had so many head coaches wow. on that staff. And even even when I went back, they added more head coaches. They had Chili. Uh, Brad Childress was on that right. staff. Right. We had the uh, the God, Buffalo Bills head coach. Sean McDermott was on Andy Reid's staff. Sean McDermott, right. right. Um, that staff was stacked. That's a hell of a – and that, that coaching tree precludes Reed in some ways here from 98. But then when Reed comes in 99, he you know, he brings us lots of guys. Morning Wig and, you know, there are countless numbers of guys that got hell, their opportunities all with different degrees of success, of course. But uh, it, it was awesome. Yeah. I had a really good coaching. I just had a tough time with Gruden. But um, we happens. ended up at around week 11, 12. We, had, we already had like three linemen hurt, and then we got two hurt in another game. And what's funny is I, I didn't, even though I was on the roster, I didn't travel because I, I knew I wasn't playing and I wouldn't travel. I was a fourth tight end. So that weekend, uh, I remember Ray Rhodes uh, said, uh, you had, you know, he was like, you had a good keep a week of practice. You gotta keep busting your butt in practice. These are your games. People are watching you. He's like, man, when's the last time you saw your family? And he's like, go visit your family. Uh, you, you know, you're not traveling with us to San Francisco. Go visit your family. Go see one of your college girls or something. And you know, he 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 joked with me and he's like, I know you don't have any women here. Go go to Furman and see one of your college girls or something. But what I actually did was I did fly out to Furman. And uh, I went to practice, and who do I run into at Furman's practice? Chris Polian. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, I'm walking in, and Chris is looking at me like— You're, you're, he, running, you're running into a lot of people in your life, Luther, at the right, right. time, it seems. But, but Chris <laughs> but, worked me out. Chris is one of the guys that worked me out coming out of Furman, and he said right. they wanted to draft me, and they thought I'd be there. And uh, Chris, he's looking at me like, I know this is Luther, but I know he's not. Why is he here? So go. I'm walking up, and he's like, Luther, what are you doing here? And I said, right. oh, I, he's like, he's like, dude, I hate to say it, but I've been scouring the waiver wire every week waiting for you to get cut so we could sign you. And I laughed, and I said, no, I didn't travel this week, and uh, I'm just visiting Furman. I'm going back tonight. He said, I'm keeping my eye out. He's like, I don't want to wish anything bad on you, but we want you. 
On the way back to the airport, I get a page. You know, we didn't have cell phones. <laughs> I get a beep from got a beeper, huh? 215, and the first three digits were the Eagles' offices. And I was like, no one ever calls me from the office. That's Some, bad Something's news. up, right. You yeah. get bad news or a contract extension. Yeah. I knew I wasn't getting a contract okay, extension. So right. I call back, and it's Juan. And Juan's like, Lou, man, where are you? And I said, uh, I'm, I'm at Furman. I'm headed to the airport. And he's like, has anybody called you? And I was like, who? He's like, well, you know, what's your name? Got hurt tonight. We need a roster spot, and it's going to be you. And I said, Juan, I get it. I understand. I'm the fourth tight end. And he's like, they'll call you as soon as you get in. Uh, if you clear waivers, we want to sign you back immediately to the practice squad. So I fly in back to Philly knowing that I have gotten cut. <laughs> right? Right, right. Get in, and I drive to the stadium because it's near the airport. And we talk, and I go home, and the next morning I clear waivers or something like that, and I go in and sign a practice squad. For me, nothing changes. The only thing that changed for me is my pay. I, mm -hmm. When you're in a practice squad, nothing changes. Right. Dude, you're one hurt ankle away from being on the roster. You better be prepared. Mm -hmm. So at that time, Polian contacted my agent immediately, and he was like, holy cow, I just talked to Luther. We're going to sign him. We got to create a roster spot. It might be two weeks, but we'll do it, right? So at this point, I don't know what's going on. So one day he finally calls. He's like, all right, Luther, we're ready. And my agent called. He's like, the Panthers are going to sign you, bring you to the roster, and they're going to give you a signing bonus to make up for the money you lost. So I was like, holy cow, I, I, I should just leave. But I wanted to go thank Juan and tell him bye, right? Right. And he's like freaking out. He's like, what? I was like, Juan, they're putting me on the roster. And I, I, I'm not going anywhere here. Like, Gruden just hates me, right? You're just he's, in a bad spot. There, there's I a no zero-sum game with Gruden and with all the things going game, And I'm on the practice squad, right? Yeah. So he's like, don't leave, don't leave. I'm going to call uh, Jeff Lurie and talk to Ray and see what we yeah. can and sorry, sorry, Juan. Got to, got to take it. <laughs> well, we were in the vet, right? So let's do a let's picture a circle, right? Yeah, right. The coaches' offices are here. The locker room is here. The door to get out is past the coaches' office, and I can't leave because Juan doesn't want me to leave, and I want to get out of there because <laughs> I finally escaped Gruden, and I've got a job. Right. It's not like I quit. I've escaped Gruden and I've got a job. Right. Dude, I walk, ran around the entire stadium. The outside, not the, the inside. Yeah. But I have I ran all the way around just to go like 10 yards. <laughs> so what a, I, what a setup. <laughs> got in my car, drove home. By the time I got home, I had a bunch of messages from Juan, but the Panthers, I had already told them I was coming there. I, the, I was on the practice squad. I wasn't even on the roster. So I left and flew to Carolina. It was, uh, I just, I felt real, so much relief. I was going home. Sure, yeah. And I was getting going home. Yeah. I was, and that's, that's another factor there, too. It's, it's, uh, I was getting away, man.
you're, you're back home and you, the factor with Gruden making you feel, you know, not necessarily, and it's coaching, it happens, but, you know, he's it playing, he's, he's playing a psychological game with you, it sounds like, that, that's putting you in a spot that, that you can't develop and grow to your best potential. And all of a sudden, you're going back home. Coaching, it sounds like, going to be more conducive to, to what you need. It sounded like it was a great situation. And, you know, I know Juan wanted to, to keep you, but I mean, look, man, what, a, what a great deal. I was a young guy, right? And I didn't know any. I didn't know anything. And maybe it would have been a best move just to stay and wait it out. Mind you, Gruden got the Raiders job that offseason. But all I thought was this guy's going to cut me at any time, and I've got an opportunity to go to another team that seems like they want me. I was a rookie. I didn't know any better. And and I I was ha- and I was happy to be gone. I ended up back in Philadelphia a year later. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're I right mean, back. You're right back where you started. But under a couple it years was later. so funny. I'm in Philly with Ray Rhodes. I go to Carolina with Dom Capers. Dom gets fired after the season. Seifert gets hired, trades me back to Philly, who has a new coach. Was that a Seifert deal? Yeah, was that, that was Seifert. Was Seifert uh, in total control? Yeah, George's team. And then um, Andy Andy got the job in Philly, and and I loved it. Uh, you know, when I got there, Andy called me in the office. He was like, I've heard a lot about your—I know you've heard a lot about your weaknesses. You're not a great inline blocker. You're this, that, and the other. I want to talk about your strengths, and I've watched you, and not a lot of tight ends can do what you do. He's like, I'm going to take advantage of your strength and work on your weakness. And that's the, like, I was like, oh my God. That meant the world. Way. That meant the world for, for, I, a, for a head coach he, to tell you that. No right. I mean, he could have been lying. Like, I, he's not. But, right. but as soon as he said that, it was like, holy cow, finally. Like, like somebody mentions that I have some strengths. Because, you know, I, I, I spent... The first year thinking, I suck and I'm not going to be there for long. Then I go to Carolina and I got Don Bro as my head coach. And I mean, as my position coach, and he worked me and he taught me and he talked to me and he gave me a ton of confidence. And so did Wesley Walls. You know, I want Wesley's job. He's the starter. The backups want your job. Wesley, Wesley tried to teach me something every day from a carolina perspective in 98 you get the opportunity to to make some contributions i remember that season i remember how tough it was i remember the you know the situation with collins i remember burline steps in and plays admirably there's injuries everywhere the kevin green incident on the side i'm three rows up from that with my dad and brother the position coach is getting choked out by the hall of fame linebacker and we (laughs) and we suck and it's raining and but as a player you know or at that point, are you just in it for what you got to get and then move on to the next year? No, I felt like I was going to be there. I'm not say I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be like, oh, I'm going to treat this year. Like every year was like you, you could be done. So when a lot of those things happen and like it's a bigger deal to outsiders than it is to the insiders. And uh, that situation with Kevin Steele, Furman guy, by the way. And Kevin Green, like, I was on the sideline, and, like, it was a big deal. But then, like, it was over. Like, you know, those guys talk, 
they gotta see each other. They gotta. That's his position, and they've gotta talk. And they're grownups. And listen, mm. it's a huge deal in the media when something happens. Because oh god! But that and that, that that's the point I'm making. It's a stunning experience as a fan to see that as happen in front of you. you don't as, see and, that. And then as as you as as you see the media sinks their teeth into it as they always do think 20 years later now what it'd be like oh. i mean they, they were on twitter god it'd be everywhere i do know that 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 season you, you know you're right you can't treat it like an audition because you know you got to stay humble you got to work hard every day and then there's this rams game that i keep coming back to towards the end of the year well here's what happened wesley broke his hand catching a touchdown I remember. in tampa he yep. caught a touchdown, broke his hand, and and it was my and Wesley was like, "It's your time." And I remember him coming to Southern. He's like, "Luther, I think I broke it," and uh, he's like, "I don't know. I, I, I'm all right. It'll be all right. It, it might not be." And he finished the game, and afterwards he he said, "Lou, I broke it. It's your time." He's like, "You you need to go out there and ball." He's like, "Show what you can do. Show it." He was like, "I see you every day," and he's giving me all the confidence in the world. Like that's great. Like you could do what I can do out there, and I'm like. Holy cow, it's my first. And then, you know, I had started games before when we start in two tights. I had I, started before, but it wasn't like this. I'm starting with the 11, uh, and, and you get out there and it's nerve wracking, and then it's a football game. Yeah. Then it's a football game. It's just what you do. And, uh, Scoring that, that game-winning touchdown was nuts, dude. That was my first touchdown. And what a stiff arm. And, and you know, the, the color guy, it might have been Tim Ryan. He made the point that, you know, you, you, I don't know if you buy into this, but you didn't have the wheels to beat Pfeiffer down the field. What's, so you, you hit the brakes a minute and, and strategically positioned your ass right there and say, you know, <laughs> Roman, hold on, baby. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you out here, and then I'm going to take off off you. What's going through your mind in that moment, in that stadium, he made, so here's what happened. We we had been setting that up for a couple weeks. We had run a screen out of that formation for like two weeks straight. Really big place because it's it's all go tight on the left, but I have to get out. Chris yep. Magnum was the inside tight end. He runs the streak up the seam, yep. and then we had two wideouts on the other side running streaks, and Tim was the back, and he's the, the safety valve in the middle. <laughs> well, Roman Pfeiffer, as soon as we got up there, and he started looking around. He's like, it's two by twos, two by twos. Screen, yeah. screen, screen. They're running the screen right there. I almost jumped out of my hand. <laughs> Cause I'm like, okay, I'm getting this. If he, getting, he's, yep. he's got it. Cause I'm like, he's got me. Because yep. I, I already see the other safety kind of move over to the uh to the wide receiver side. Right, right. And yeah, I'm, he, look, I'm looking at it now. It's uh, he didn't touch me getting off the line, and I, he, I mean you're you're five yards off him at the point of catch. At the I mean, point of catch, because he knew he thought it was a screen, and I yeah. knew for Burline would throw it. Burline would throw it to me in practice, even when it wasn't my play. Seifert would be like, run it again and hit the guy who we would probably hit in the game, and Burline would be like, dude, if you beat your guy that bad, I'm hitting you with the ball. <laughs> and. Uh, and as soon as I got off the line, I knew he was getting it to me. And all Berline did was look the safety off and pat the ball. He, a beautiful play. He, told, he said, I, "He said I knew where I was going immediately." And oh, no, he had to. He had to. Yeah. 
a yeah. catch and catch. I mean, I'm looking at her, I'm was, looking at the, the, the was, 22 angle here. That was three easy. three step drop, and he, and you're already four yards off Pfeiffer, and then you know he's making a little comeback, and you you stiff him, and and then the right. dance, right? The dance. I mean, tell me about the dance. What's going on here? What we got? What we got going on here, Lou? So there's no there are no plans or what have you. It's like. I am a kid in a candy store, and I don't know what the hell to do at this point. <laughs> but I got to do something crazy so I can make prime time, right? That, that's, but but I'm not thinking of that. So when I catch the ball, and uh, like you know, I got I had it's in stride, pretty much a stride, but I have to slow down a tiny bit to catch it. Right. So that's when I knew I had to stiff arm Pfeiffer. When I had to slow down a tiny bit, he was gaining on me, and I was like. Oh, I, I got this, right? And he was, I, I just got him on the shoulder. I knew I could get him off me. And at the time, John, the stadium is absolutely silent. And my, I don't hear anything. I don't hear anything. It's amazing. It's like how it is when you fumble. The ball slowly rolls away. It seems like it's an inch from you, but it's also a mile away from you because you can't get it. So, I'm running down the sideline and I don't hear anything besides you're, you're in the you're in the National Football League and you're about to score a touchdown and you're you're a kid 15 years ago dreaming of this eventually. I'm going down the sideline and and I get in the end zone and that's when I hear noise it just explodes. Yeah. And I'm thinking Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! That's all I mean. It's like I just scored a touchdown. I probably scored a game-winning touchdown. And we're gonna have to leave it right there. That's part one of the interview with Luther Broughton. A great, great chat with a great, great guy. Part two comes up next week, next Monday. In fact, Monday night we're gonna release uh, episode two. Give you a little taste of what's coming up there. The rest of Luther's conversation with me includes some pretty tasty little tidbits about one Mr. George Seifert. And his time in Carolina. Some very, very fascinating stuff. You want to join us for that. OnePantherPlace.com. Check us out all week for the uh, training camp preview coming up here. And uh, the latest from Walford College right here in steamy Spartanburg, South Carolina. Everybody have a great night. Thanks for listening.